Well, welcome back. We are excited to be here speaking together. It's always kind of fun when we get to speak together. Yeah. You look really excited about this. That was my excited face. <laughs> it is. I love it. It's, it is very fun. So um, have you ever been on one of those vacations or trips where someone, or maybe it was you, drove every moment of that <laughs> vacation to do something more? Like, I mean, what's the purpose of getting together with friends? Usually it's to do extra activities. And so sometimes we go on these vacations and do these things uh, that leave us at the end far more exhausted than when we begin them, right? We can, we can all probably relate to what it feels like in life to book ourselves that busy. We had this crazy experience a few weeks ago. We um, got a couple nights away with another family, some friends, and um, we got there, and let me tell you, the party began. No, that's not actually what happened. <laughs> this is the crazy thing. We got there, and we all sat down, and we opened up books, and we sat in red with a fire burning. Like, um, I have never been on a vacation or a trip where, like, in community with friends, you just rested together. Now, we had a lot of fun activities and, and did a lot of neat things, too, but it was so peaceful and interesting to be able to rest in community. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about Sabbath, and God established for his people, the Israelite people, uh, a rhythm of resting in community, of resting in God, but as a people, as a whole people, to find rest. Yes, so today we're going to continue our series on Sabbath. We've looked at the creation story and talked about how um, in the very fabric of creation was this rhythm of rest, that after God created, he himself rested, not because he was tired, but because he wanted to enjoy his creation. And we talked a couple weeks ago about our invitation to, um, to, to rest in God and to enjoy the creator just as he enjoyed creation. And then uh, last week, Micah spoke, and he spoke on Jesus' words on the Sabbath and Jesus' beautiful invitation to come to, he said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we looked at stories of Jesus healing on the Sabbath, and, and we saw how Sabbath was intended for good. And Micah invited us to include the practice of Sabbath in our Lent this year. And so today we're going to um, look at Sabbath from another perspective, from another lens. So we're going to specifically look at the social implications of Sabbath, the social implications of Sabbath. So two weeks ago when we started this, we were in Exodus, and um, the account of the law in Exodus was given to Moses right after Moses led the people out of Egypt. So God sends Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. Moses brings them to Mount Sinai, and that's where God gave the Israelites through Moses the law. And so in Exodus, we read the account that Moses um, gave of the law to the Israelites. Today, we're going to look at the Deuteronomy account. So it's the same law, but it was. this is at the end of Moses' life. So after Mount Sinai, after God gave the Israelites the law, then they wandered around the wilderness. There's a whole story. There's lots of stories about that wandering, but spent 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around, and the entire generation of adults that had come out of Egypt died during that time. And so 
right before they were about to go into the promised land, Moses gathers everybody together again. And now the children who had come out of Egypt or had been born in the wilderness have now grown up. And Moses retells the law and explains the details of it. And so that's what we're going to look at today in Deuteronomy. Today, as we look at Deuteronomy 5, uh, we're kind of asking, so what are the implications of a God that commanded his people to rest? What are the implications or, or what impacts did that have on who they were as a people and how they operated as a nation and how they operated in the world? So listen with us as we read in Deuteronomy 5, uh, part of, again, the re- recounting of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And one of those commandments is this, Deuteronomy 5.12, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So we see in verse 12, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. So the Sabbath, we talked about that word in Hebrew means to stop, to cease, to pause. And so the commandment is twofold. One, work for six days, be productive and labor, and then on the seventh day, stop and rest in God and set this day apart for God to focus on him and to rest. And we're going we're gonna to spend a little more time in verse 14 today, because in verse 14, it's super interesting here how God specifies who is not to work. So not just you, whoever he's speaking to there, but God specifies that it's you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, all your animals. Including your donkey. You like that part? Yeah. (laughs) Really glad you pointed that out. That was really important. Um, And the foreigners. And it's so interesting to me that God says, everyone is to rest like you. It's interesting because everyone in our society usually doesn't have the exact same opportunities or access to things. Um, a couple weeks ago, a random little story here, a couple weeks ago, I decided I need to, to focus on my nutrition and be a little bit healthier. So I decided I was going to take two weeks to do paleo. Um, it lasted one and a half weeks, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, two weeks, two weeks to do paleo. And so I was cutting out grains. That was the main thing that I was doing. And so I went to the store, I went to Costco and I went down the cereal aisle and I threw in the cereal that my kids like. And then I passed, um, this bag of paleo granola. And I don't know if you've had it before. We've had it before. It's delicious. They replace the refined flour and high uh, fructose corn syrup with nuts and seeds and honey. And it's just delicious goodness, okay? I love, 
I, can you feel my love for this? Was I that a love, sales pitch? Like, were you just marketing no, for this company? Or? I didn't put it out there, but it, I love this granola. And I've bought it before, and my girls also love this granola. Well, the interesting thing about it is that it's like five times the price of the cheap stuff that's bad for you, Okay. <laughs> Five times the price, not even exaggerating on that. And so when I, I came home, they were at school, they weren't even there, and I'm unpacking the groceries, and I grab the bag, ready to put it in the pantry, and I do what every smart parent does. I pull out the vegetable cans, and then I take the cereal and I put it behind the vegetable cans. And, and it worked for me for all, all of two days. And then two days later, I walk into the kitchen, and it's like I see... Rachel's face, like, super excited, and she's holding the cereal, and Alyssa's getting the spoons and the bowls out to have a big bowl of it. And, uh, and my first reaction is like, no, guys, I'm sorry, but this is mine. This cereal is mine. This is off limits. This is a mommy food. We're, we're not sharing this Food and yes, that's how I described it, and um, and so Rachel, Rachel immediately asked, "Well, why, Mom? Why?" And I said, two reasons: one, it's really expensive, and two, it's really healthy cereal that you know for Mom because Mom's doing this paleo thing for for a couple weeks. And then as soon as I said that, I mean the wheels start turning, and my very our very smart girls start negotiating. Expert negotiators they are. And, um, and Alyssa says, so mom, rolls nice and slow, um, if it's healthy for you, doesn't that mean it's also healthy for us? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. And then Rachel like gets on board and she's like, and don't you always tell us we need to make healthy choices? <laughs> I still didn't let them eat it that day. Okay. Um, but before you get too judgy on me, they have plenty of other foods that are healthy that they can choose from. Okay. So not just, not just the other cereal. And in the end, I begrudgingly let them finish it off, you know, a week later. Um, but the whole story, as silly and as benign as that story is, we don't all have equal access to stuff or, or equal opportunity um, to, 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 ha- to have, be it granola or be it Sabbath, we just, we're not all in the same boat there. So what's happening here in our text is um, Moses at the end of his life is recounting to the Israelites why Sabbath is an important law. He's recounting the Ten Commandments and the law, but um, in this particular one, he's recounting to the people um, this law. Yeah. And it's a significant moment in history for the Israelite people. Um, you know, in the beginning of the Israelite story, God made a covenant with this man named Abraham. He said, I'll bless you. I'll make your, uh, make you a numerous nation. Um, and, and I'll bless you for the purpose of you blessing the world. And things went really well in the beginning of that story. It's God and Abraham and they got things on lockdown and it, and it was just going smoothly, right? Um, but now in the story, uh, Israel has been enslaved in Egypt for, for 400 years. And, um, I mean, 
generation after generation has lived and died as slaves in Egypt. They come out of that land, and you can imagine this might be an unruly people, right? They've got no law, they've got no uh, history of their own, no established practices. They've been slaves for 400 years, and they're finally free. Have you ever seen one of those uh, football games where uh, the, the college team wins, and the crowds just rush into the stadium, and they jump up on the goalpost, and they pull the thing down and you know that's what I imagine Israel might be feeling like like is there anything bigger to celebrate we are free and we are leaving the land and this could be incredibly unruly and God says no uh, we're gonna place some laws in place we're gonna put some some laws in place and these had both the purpose of uh, guiding the Israelite people in how they would worship God and and how they would relate to him but also the laws that establish how this nation would be governed how governing would look here in Israel uh, in, in the years to come. And so the text says everyone is to get a day off. Everyone is to get a day off. It's, it's fascinating how many times throughout both this giving of the law and the Old Testament, we see um, God's heart for social justice and for equality mm-hmm. uh, played out in the laws that exist. I mean, God is saying, I do not want you as a nation to look like Egypt, where you came from. Those learned behaviors are not the way my people will operate. And so mm-hmm. we begin, and, and I know you're going to go mm-hmm. more into it, we begin to see God's heart for uh, social justice and for equality and for care for marginalized people. Because yeah, he gets the opportunity here to create a new system. And so from the beginning, he's creating laws that would make it a more equitable system. I heard a podcast a couple of weeks ago on this topic, and, and uh, this guy who was speaking referred to this as God's scheduled social justice. Like he just scheduled it. We're going to make sure and try to create some equality. And so God, in the Sabbath law, he, he establishes that all people have dignity. All people, that he has created them equally. And so he puts this in here to kind of level the playing field, to put everyone on an equal playing field. So they'd come from Egypt where you had people that had rights and then others that had no rights. People that had wealth and others that had no wealth. We had people that had freedom and others that had no freedom. And this Sabbath law, whatever, wherever people are at in the social standing of the time, just puts everyone on an equal level and says, we are all taking the Sabbath. Everyone is to rest like you do. It's interesting if you look at history and the times when people have been oppressed and then they've been liberated from that oppression and then given the opportunity to create their own systems. Sadly, often um, they create systems that are similar, uh, oppressive systems that are similar with them on top. And that's just kind of the human tendency. We go to what we know. And so God is trying to make sure everyone has an equal opportunity here. Um, Micah mentioned this is part, this is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. I have the Ten Commandments up here. And it's interesting how the first three of 
the Ten Commandments. So uh, don't have any other gods before me. Don't make an idol. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. That has to do with our relationship to God. And then the last six have to do with how we treat our neighbor, how we love others, honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't covet. So that has to do with how we treat others. And the Sabbath law, the fourth law, acts almost like a bridge between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And I find very interesting that our relationship with God is what greatly influences how we take Sabbath. And then in turn, our Sabbath, our time with God, greatly influences how we treat others. You know, looking at that list and hearing it broken down in that way, uh, it's not surprising that both in uh, Israel's history and as Jesus comes and is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God and love people, love your neighbor. And to see it, to see it played out in that way in the law is, is really fascinating to me. Absolutely. So throughout... Um, the Old Testament, there's uh, many other laws pertaining to Sabbath that speak to the same subject of uh, social justice and equality. Um, and I want we want to run through just briefly a few of those so that we can get this uh, fuller picture of both what Sabbath was to be uh, and how it had distinct implications for the way a society would function. Now, these other laws revolving around Sabbath um, are a little bit different than the ones that we've been talking about so far. We've been talking about a day that is a day of rest, a day that was a day of rest in God. It was the Lord's Sabbath. People would not work, but they'd spend that day. These have to do with the annual traditions of carrying out this principle of Sabbath in the Israelite nation. So Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 2 says this, At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. What's interesting then in Israel, um, if they, if someone were to loan money for someone to buy a property or to do something with, um, the, the loan and the repayment amount would be based upon uh, where they were at in this seven-year cycle in, in Israel. So they had distinctive laws, and this one was that uh, debt shall not remain forever. Uh, God built into the Israelite nation and the system of debts being canceled and people being given a fresh start uh, every seven years. Do you think we could convince our politicians to... Put this law in a, I doubt it. This law. <laughs> we definitely couldn't, couldn't convince our banks. We definitely yeah, couldn't no. convince our banks. Right. Um, another Sabbath law is found in Deuteronomy 15. And this is what it says. It says, if any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year, you are to let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally. Love that. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember, you remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. So every seven years, 
someone who had sold themselves into slavery, which we'll talk about in a second, is to be set free. Now, when we think of slavery here, it's, it's probably a little bit different than what we're thinking about. Often when we think of slavery, we think of slavery based on ethnicity. Here, the slavery was based on socioeconomics. So the poor in, in this society, if they couldn't pay their debts, if they couldn't pay all their bills, they sold themselves as slaves and would work their debt would work for to pay off their debt. And so here, God says every seventh year, on the Sabbath year, again, everyone is to be on an equal playing field. L- release the person that had to, to had sell themselves into slavery. It's really sad when you, when you think about the need for this commandment. It's, it's a heavy it's a heavy one to think of someone that that's the position they were put in. That was their only option. And God saw that, and he wanted to lift them up. Yeah. Um, you've probably not heard this one. In Leviticus 25, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, uh, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields, and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather the crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. So uh, Sabbath law applied both to the people and to the land, which is uh, appropriate. I mean, uh, today, modern farming practices still um, cycle their crops and their land to give the land rest or plant different crops that uh, make what they normally plant more productive. So Jesus... God um, institutes in Israel the system of Sabbath that applies to people, uh, to the land, um, and it, it just draws me back to the story of creation, and God creates this world and says, this is good. He creates humanity and says, this is good, and God's heart for both, uh, for all of creation, is kind of revealed in this in this law. Absolutely. And then the last one we'll look at today, Leviticus 25.10, it's the year of Jubilee, He reads, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. So the Sabbath day was every seventh day. The Sabbath year was every seventh year. And then the year of jubilee was seven after seven Sabbaths, so seven times seven is, is 49. So then the 50th year was supposed to be this year of great celebration in which, um, again, people were set free, debts were canceled, and land was returned to, to the original families that had owned that land. And so we see, again, the year of Jubilee pointing to God's heart um, for equality and for social justice and for a leveling of people standing for rest and opportunity for all. I was just thinking of um, like Monopoly or the farming game or those games <laughs> and how once you get behind, 
you can never catch back up, nope, right? I mean, once up. you're behind and someone else has all the hotels, there's just nothing happened. This is an interesting conversation uh-huh. and system of leveling in which um, uh, people did get behind. It, it's obvious from the laws that were established, but there was opportunity for fresh starts in, in their stories. So at this point, we've looked at Sabbath law. Um, we've looked at uh, the that Sabbath law applied both to people and to land. It applied to weekly rhythms and annual rhythms every seven years in the nation of Israel. Uh, what we haven't hit yet is verse 15 back in that Deuteronomy passage, which has some profound implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, f- verse 15 talks about the reason here for Sabbath. And remember, this is the second telling of the law. And so in Exodus, when we looked at it a couple weeks ago, the reason was rest because your God rested on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. So Sabbath was pinned to creation and God's example and uh, a command to to follow in that. Absolutely. And so here, um, Moses has a different audience. Interestingly enough, it's the children of the slaves that had come out of Egypt. And, And Moses adds another reason to why we should take the Sabbath. Verse 15, he says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So take a Sabbath because you're no longer slaves. Take the Sabbath because you have been set free. And for Israel, can you imagine what what a powerful reason this was for them, having experienced a system of oppression with Pharaoh on top with his greed and for power and wealth, driving the need for, for this 24-7 system of, of work, cruel work and production. And Moses says, hey, remember, you've been set free from this. This is no longer your story right now. And so... Sabbath was a very tangible and concrete way for them to remember that they didn't have to work, that they could rest, they could stop. It was a visible way of choosing a different system and aligning themselves with God. For us, we want to ask the question today, can we relate to this? Because I think we can. I think we can relate to the Israelites, and I think we can also relate to the system in Egypt. As the, as the Israelites um, were a part of this system of 24-7 production, I think, um, I, I read a book this last week or the week before. Sorry. Last week, um, a Walter Brueggemann wrote a book on the Sabbath, Sabbath as Resistance, and he described our society comparing it to Egypt. And this is what he wrote. He says, we are a society of 24-7 multitasking in order to achieve, accomplish, perform, and possess. Thus, the system of commodity requires that we want more, have more, own more, use more, eat, and drink more. You know, it's crazy. These systems of production and, and consumption are quite often built on the backs of the most vulnerable, 
of those without a voice to speak for themselves. I, I think of Egypt and the enslavement of the Israelite people. Uh, Egypt thrived upon the slavery of those people. And so as Brueggemann points out in our culture of production and consumption, I think it's worth a moment of reflection on the backs of whom is that success or that opportunity being afforded. You know, we can relate to the Israelites, um, though our system looks different. We're not enslaved. We're, our society definitely functions in this system of continual production and continual consumption, and, and we're always wanting more, or at least that's the message that's being sent to us. And Sabbath offers resistance to this. It offers us a different way of living. It allows us to stop and choose a different way, to stop and align ourselves with a God of rest. It, as we stop, instead of achieving, instead of accomplishing, we're receiving from God. And, and I can say, at least in my experience, um, I'm much more comfortable earning something and achieving something and checking my to-do list off than I am receiving something that I haven't earned. And, and, and that's a discipline to stop and for me just to receive from God and to remember that my freedom and my identity comes from Him. It does not come from how much I produce or, or how much I accomplish. We stop and we rest, and in God we can just be. That's kind of been my phrase for the last few months, is, is be instead of do. Now, there's plenty that I still do, but sometimes the doing just totally pushes out the being. To be able to just sit and be with God is a beautiful thing, and we find life and we find rest there. Sadly, I think we can also relate to Egypt, so I can relate to being an Israelite, or, you know, always feeling like I have to work, work, work. But I think we have to be careful to, to really reflect on this. We can also probably relate to being Egypt, to either intentionally or not knowingly, often the time, participating in systems of injustice to being numb to the injustice that's happening around us to the point that we don't see it, and just going along with whatever privilege we have, wherever we're at in life. Um, just something small that just keeps bugging me in my personal life is, is kind of my addiction to Amazon. I love Amazon. It's cheap, it's quick, and it, it comes right to my doorstep. And yet, I wonder how many of those things that I buy, the production of those things harmed others, were in systems of injustice. It, like Things like that, that I haven't considered because I haven't had to in the past. And I think when we look at Sabbath, it invites us to consider not only how are we like the Israelites in this, but also 
How are we like the Egyptians? Where are we participating in systems of injustice? And then the next question is, what is God calling us to do? You know, Sabbath invites us uh, to reflect um, not only upon how I, as an individual, will uh, engage God and and rest in Him, but uh, the the laws that He laid out for Israel invite us to consider what does it look like to care about the rest and the well being of other people around me. Uh, that is the conversation of this law. So here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, even though it's election season. <laughs> Um, but I am going to encourage you um, to listen to your heart, uh, uh, to, yeah. to explore God's word, to, to listen for his voice in our lives, and to care deeply about uh, his good plan, his good will for this world and for humanity, uh, and to consider where do I have a voice and an opportunity, not only to rest myself, but to invite others to know the hope and the rest that I have come to find in Jesus, uh, Brueggemann in that, in that same book, Sarah quoted earlier, says, uh, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. He, he says in this quote and, and in the surrounding, uh, text, he says, um, Sabbath's not just about the one day in which you rest. Sabbath is about reorienting ourselves towards God and towards a people around us. Sabbath had uh, drastic implications in the life of Israelites, both in their individual lives and in the way their nation would operate. So today, uh, our, our invitation or our challenge is just to consider what does it look like to be a person that cares both about my relationship with God and the well-being of people around me. So we want to move into a time of communion. And communion aligns beautifully with this idea of Sabbath. Um, Sabbath is to stop and to rest and to delight in God. And communion is this tangible way for us to remember the gift of, that Jesus offers us through his death and his resurrection. I want to read for us uh, from Matthew. This is what Jesus did and said at the Last Supper, the week um, of his crucifixion with his disciples. It says, while, we were eat- while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So in communion, the the bread represents his body and the juice or the wine represents his blood. And, And through his death, Jesus offers forgiveness and mercy and grace. And then through his resurrection, Jesus offers new life, uh, a new hope, a new beginning. And this is a gift. So when we take communion, it's, it's symbolic of receiving this gift. And like in Sabbath, where we stop trying to achieve things on our own, in receiving this gift from God, we have to stop trying to earn it. We have to stop trying to save ourselves and be okay with just opening up ourselves to God in gratitude to experience his love and say, thank you. I will receive this gift 
not because of anything that I have done, but because what Jesus has done. And Jesus offers forgiveness and he offers new life. And so during this next song, I want to invite us to take communion together um, as a community. So if you're up for it, partner up with someone close to you and go to one of the communion tables. There's one up here and there's one in the back. Dip the bread into the juice and it's just bread and juice. It's, It's just a symbolic thing, but it's a tangible thing in which we get to remember that this is a gift. We don't have to earn it. All we have to do is receive and say thank you. So I invite you to stand with me and as we sing, feel free to go take communion. I'm going to leave us with this benediction today. May we receive the rest God offers with gratitude. May we invite others to experience this rest only found in God. And may our words and actions reflect the heart of God for our world this week.